Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Greg Wells and this is my podcast. I'm a scientist, a physiologist, an author, and I love exploring how to live a high performance life. In my books, my presentations, and this podcast, I am doing my best to translate hard science and powerful experiences into actionable, effective life performance strategies. Using the latest research on the brain and the body, this podcast will show you simple but transformative strategies that boost mental and physical health, advance careers, and upgrade lives. I am committed to changing one life at a time for the better. I want to focus on health, happiness, and performance, and I call my mission the billion-person problem. And I don't kid myself that I'm going to reach a billion people, but that's the dream and the space where my passion, my expertise, and my practices all come together. My passion is to help people live healthier and more impactful lives. My expertise lies in the research that I both try to conduct and engage in for a living, and my practice is devoted to providing evidence-based insights and strategies that make it possible to achieve personal and professional success, and that is what this podcast is all about. I hope that you love the show and it makes a big difference in your life. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Dr. Greg Wells. And without any further delays, let's dive into this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's so great to be with you. Today, I want to share an interview that I did with Jonathan Levi on his Becoming Superhuman podcast. Jonathan is an extraordinary guy, and the interview was full of insights as we talked back and forth about human performance. Here's a little bit about Jonathan. After successfully selling his Inc. 5000 rated startup in 2011, Jonathan spent time in Israel where he enlisted the help of speed reading expert and university professor Anna Goldentouch and machine learning expert Dr. Lev Gold. These two tutored him in speed reading, advanced memorization, and other mental performance techniques. Jonathan applied these techniques during his MBA at INSEAD in Paris and saw incredible results. He was overwhelmed by the interest his classmates showed in his super learning skill set, so he decided to pursue the field full time. Since then, he's become a proficient life hacker and industry leading guru in the optimization of processes such as travel, sleep, language learning, and fitness. For his Becoming Superhuman podcast, Jonathan interviews extraordinary people like Gretchen Rubin, Ben Greenfield, Benny Lewis, and many, many more. So I was really excited to be on this show. It was a huge honor. We had a blast, talked about a bunch of stuff, and I just wanted to share that with you because I think it, there are many uh, little nuggets that you can apply in your own life. So please enjoy my conversation about overcoming the impossible with Jonathan Levi. Welcome to the Becoming Superhuman Podcast, where we interview extraordinary people to bring you the skills and strategies to overcome the impossible. And now, here's your host, Jonathan Levy. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you guys know about an opportunity to learn some of the most important skills in life, if not the most important skills. And those are the skills of learning and doing so rapidly, effectively, and easily. You see, guys, I'm putting on 
a completely free 60-minute webinar that you guys can check out where I will be going into my absolute best memory tips, learning tips, and speed reading tips so that you can immediately begin applying them and accelerating your learning of anything and everything. All you need to do to claim your spot in this free webinar is visit jle.vi slash webinar. We have showings at many different times throughout the days for every time zone, but you have to log in and claim your spot. So that's jle.vi slash webinar. And I really look forward to seeing what you guys achieve. This episode is brought to you by Organifi. You guys, one of the only things that every nutritional expert that we've had on the show seems to actually agree on is that we all need to eat more vegetables, eat more greens, eat organic, cut out all the processed junk. Well, who has the time, right? Who has the time to go out, do the shopping, make the salads, make the juices, make the smoothies? And that's what I love so much about Organifi. Their product is an all organic green juice. It has all of the nutrients that you need. It tastes absolutely amazing. And it's made by wonderful people who I consider to be personal friends. And as listeners of this show, you guys can actually save 20% on your first order. And all you have to do is go to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and use the coupon code SUPERHUMAN at checkout. Greetings, super friends, and welcome back to the Becoming Superhuman podcast. This particular episode, by the way, is brought to you thanks to a review from Colin Jewett of the US of A, who says, with a five-star review, consistently valuable. I began listening to Jonathan's podcast after enrolling in the Super Learner Masterclass. Thank you. Jonathan consistently delivers value in all of his content. I listen to the podcast on my walks to and from class, and I learn something new every day. Through his courses and his podcast, he has helped me rediscover my love for learning and made me look forward to my stroll through the tundra that is Purdue in the wintertime. Well, thank you so much, Colin. I really appreciate that review. And for those of you who haven't left a review, please do. All right, we'll leave it there. On to today's episode, you guys, today we are rejoined by Dr. Greg Wells, a scientist, broadcaster, author, coach, and athlete. You might know him as an associate professor at the University of Toronto, where he studies elite performance, or where he serves at the senior scientist in translational medicine at the Hospital for Sick Children, where he actually leads the exercise medicine research group. You might also remember that we had Dr. Wells on the show, where we talked about elite athletic performance. And we talked about his book, The Ripple Effect. But today, we're not going to talk about all of that or any of that, really. We're actually going to talk about something that I've become obsessed with, and that is digital distraction. Some of you guys might know that I've put out posts in the past, such as the number one productivity trick that I accidentally discovered. And I've talked with folks like Stephen Kotler and many, many more about the effects of digital distractions and how they are literally wrecking our brains. Well, in this conversation, I won't call it an interview, I'll call it a conversation. We go into that, we start understanding why it is that you need to pay so much attention, why it's a much bigger deal than you think it is, and what you can do about it to prevent damaging your brain and screwing up your entire productive life. And no, I'm not exaggerating. So it's a great episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Without any further ado, my super friend, Dr. Greg Wells.
Greg, welcome back to the show, my friend. How have you been? Good, Jonathan. Everything's great. It's been a crazy year. All is going well. Sun is streaming into my office right now. It's Monday morning. Coconut coffee is next to me. Mic is set up and I'm fired up to talk to you. Beautiful. Is that some some MCT oil coconut coffee you've got going? Yeah. All hands are on deck this morning. So beautiful. All the biohacks are happening as we speak. Oh yeah, man. I've been enjoying, I'm on the mushroom coffee. So we'll see what's working better, the MCT oil or the mushroom yeah. coffee. <laughs> we'll do a vote at the end who did better. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Greg, you were telling me just before we hit record this story, because last time we spoke, we were talking about elite athletic performance. We were talking about the ripple effect. We talked about genetics and that was a great and interesting call. But then when you and I caught up over email, you blew my mind because you and I are interested in, in a very similar thing right now, a very similar epidemic. Tell the story that you just told me, if you don't mind retelling it. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of focus, I'm going to turn on the uh, do not disturb button on my computer here. And so I'm at the back of a conference with a buddy of mine, Bruce Bowser, and we're watching this incredible speaker. And as we look around the room, we're noticing that there's like not an insignificant percentage of the population of that room is looking at their phones. And we're like, what the heck are they doing? Uh, we actually said, what the F are you doing? I don't know about your audience if I'm allowed to swear on this or not, but it was insane. And then we went outside afterwards and we got out at, on the break and like 98% of the people are sitting there on their phones. And then we went for a walk in this beautiful European city. And a few times we had to get out of the way of people that were face down in their phones and nearly walked into us. I didn't even look at the drivers. I'm sure it was the same with the drivers. And we're like, this is crazy. Like no one is paying attention to what's going on around them. Everyone's on their phone. It's not like I'm perfect. Like I've had moments also in the past where I've been madly addicted to my phone. And we're like, we got to do something like we got to write a book about this. And so we did one year later, the focus effect just came out, which is our, our latest book. And to be, I've done zero marketing. I did one LinkedIn blast and it's, it was like number one on Amazon, Canada and the U S I've getting emails already from people who are like, this is exactly what I needed in my business, in my school. I've read it like it's exploding and I've done zero to like market this thing. So it's really hit a nerve for a lot of people, I think. Absolutely. You know, and the reason I'm so into this right now, I was at my first Genius Network meeting and Joe was talking about Deep Work, Cal Newport's book, and just what an incredible impact he had. And, And that's one thing that you notice in the room when you're in a room with the most highly performing executives nobody is on their freaking phone. And you know, part of that is that they're spending 25K to be in that room. But when you're dealing with the most highly paid executives and CEOs, none of them are addicted to their phones the way that many people in my life are. So I've become really, really interested in this topic. I just finished last night in preparation for this interview, Deep Work, which fascinating book. So tell me, Tell me about this. I'm going to try and bite my tongue here and let you do the talking of why is this such an issue? Because I think to play devil's advocate, most people are like, you know, my phone has added so much value in my life and it allows me to stay connected to the people I love. And and who cares if I just get one little notification? It, it doesn't throw me off. It doesn't distract me. Yeah. And that's totally fine. And by the way, I'm as fascinated to hear your perspective on this. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't have, this should be more of a conversation than an interview, but I don't think that the single notification is a problem. I think the fact that we have the entire history of all the world's knowledge in our pocket at all times is incredible. I think the mobile devices 
is fantastic. I think it's one of the greatest advances in all of human history. I think the fact that the Me Too movement happened on social media is spectacular. As the father of an eight-year-old little girl, I'm thrilled that she's going to be growing up into a different world as a result of that movement, which only happened because of hashtag culture. So there's amazing things that can happen. The problem is, is when we get addicted to it, when we're on it all the time, when it takes us out of the real world, when you're at a concert and you're more concerned about filming the concert than you are about watching the musicians play, that's an issue. I did a session for a bunch of athletes recently, and three of the kids stayed behind afterwards. And it was a a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 16-year-old girl. We were talking about sports and training. And then one of them starts crying because she realizes that she's full on addicted to Instagram and that she was up at three o'clock in the morning checking her Instagram to see how many likes she got before she woke up in the morning. And that's one of the reasons why she was having such a hard time being an athlete anymore. She starts bawling and shaking. Like I've no problem with the device itself. I have a huge problem with our addiction to distraction and what that's doing for us. I think that's the ultimate issue that we've, I think it's all about intentionality. Can you intentionally use your phone to communicate with the people that you love? Fabulous. Can you intentionally engage with social to celebrate and congratulate people for amazing things that are happening in their lives? Awesome. If you're passively consuming your fate, like scrolling through your social media feeds, that I believe is is going to be a problem for you. Yes. And I think it, you make an important distinction in two different ways. Because one, there's the pop-up notification while we're working, which I've talked about. I did a whole whole post on the number one productivity hack that I accidentally discovered, which is you know, the iPhone X, you can't tell when you're in do not disturb. So you leave it on all day. And that's one thing. And I, I think I've adequately convinced the audience that when it's work time, you need to turn off all the distractions. And we've had Chris Bailey on the show talking about that. If you want to create, you need to shut down the Wi-Fi. But then there's the second kind where you said a very important phrase, which is addiction to distraction. And this was an eye opener for me because I always, you know, when I'm walking or I'm waiting for, you know, the Uber or whatever it may be, if I have two or three minutes, I'm going to open up my email and quote unquote, be productive, right? I even teach in one of my courses that you can use that time, that five minutes while you wait for the bus to open up your phone and go through your memory flashcards, right? If you're trying to learn a new Mm. language. And I guess that's on some level, that's better than scrolling through Facebook or checking your email or checking your Instagram feed. But I realized after reading Deep Work that I'm actually addicted, that I cannot sit for five minutes or 10 minutes or walk even, you know, cause I'm one of those who I'm checking my email or listening to a podcast or FaceTiming with a friend while I'm walking to try and take advantage of that five to 10 minutes. I realize that I can't go without it. And what the byproduct of that is, is I'm no longer given any time alone with my thoughts, which means, you know, I'm not doing creative thinking. I'm not analyzing the problems that I'm working on. I'm always in front of a screen. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting discovery. And that is the difference between what you need to do to be creative and what you need to do to be productive. And I think they're very different things. This is like, I've only started to figure this out in the last probably month through some work that I did in the mountains of India and other things. So what I discovered, I took my family to India about a year ago to go explore meditation and mindfulness and attention. And what I discovered through that process was that that if you're 100% attentive to the moment with no other thoughts other than what exists in the moment, that is a pure state for humanity. 
I actually think it's the resting state for humanity. That's where you can access joy. That's where you can access deep thinking. That's when you can access your true potential as a human being. Uh, great quote from Jose Batista, a baseball player here in North America. He hit a home run to win a game in the playoffs in a stadium full of 50,000 people. And he describes when he was getting ready to face off with the pitcher, the stadium disappeared. He couldn't hear him. He couldn't hear or see anyone else other than the pitcher. Total focus is incredible. However, to be creative, to come up with new ideas, to think about a new angle, to solve a problem, you cannot be engaged with something. If you're answering email, you're not going to be creative. You require the opposite scenario where all your devices are off. There are absolutely no distractions. The mind can be active and can wander. And it's even better if you do it in nature. If you're sitting on a beach staring at the waves for an hour or two with no phone, with no book, you're going to get some really interesting ideas. And that's the state that you need to get into in order to be hyper-creative. So they're very different. And that's what I've been trying to deliberately program into my life. And it's making this massive difference. Absolutely. And everything you're saying is so solidly backed up by research, whether it's, you know, the research from Chicksamahai and the work that Stephen Kotler has been doing on flow and that we need hours of interrupted. I mean, even that one interruption is going to break you out of flow. But also what scared the hell out of me is some of the stuff that Cal Newport talks about is that if you get into the state of always being entertained, of always having distraction, not only do you lose out on the benefits of the creative thinking that you and I are talking about, but you actually become physically incapable. So effectively, the way I've been explaining it to people since I read the book is you are essentially converting your brain into an ADD brain. Right. And it's like, as someone who grew up with ADD, I can tell you, you really don't want to do that. But you're actually making physical, structural, and behavioral changes in the way the brain functions by feeding it constant distractions all day, every single day. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I've had my daughter who's started to use an iPad say to me a couple times when we're driving, she goes, Daddy, I'm bored. And I'm like, Good. It's like, What? I'm like, that's great. I'm glad you're bored. Perfect. Go with that. And she gets all confused and then she gets really frustrated. And then she settles down and a minute or two later, she'll start singing or she'll look out the window and be like, hey, look at that building or whatever. And she gets creative. I force her into it by putting her in a car and driving somewhere and don't give her anything to do. But she's even in a very short period of time been like, I need something to entertain me. I need the iPad. I can't sit. And I notice when we go down south, that when I get the kids into an environment, because we went away for two weeks in December, two weeks in March, I now do this deliberately two weeks every quarter to decompress, disconnect, go somewhere different so we can think creatively. It's a, a huge investment in time. But I notice with the family and certainly with myself that in that two weeks when we are disconnected, when we're in nature, when we're in a jungle, on a beach, everyone settles. The kids get happier. It takes them about five or six days then all of a sudden they start drawing again. All of a sudden they start going out and interacting with nature. All of a sudden their voices calm down. All of a sudden we sit down over dinner and have a conversation. Like amazing shifts begin to happen when you deliberately engage, which is totally fine, but then intentionally disengage as well. And it's a very interesting hack that I think we need to force ourselves back into because we all have our phones with us all the time. It's so easy to be 
addicted. I think we need to deliberately program in simple as like 90 minutes a day. It's Robin Sharma's thing. 90 minutes, first thing in the morning, completely undistracted on your life's most important work for 90 days, the 9091 formula, you know, 90 days, 90 minutes, single most important thing. That's an absolute game changer. If you can drop little strategies like that into your life. Absolutely. All right. At this point, I want to pause and take a moment to thank our sponsor, Four Sigmatic, who is making it easy for everyday people to unlock the incredible health benefits of mushrooms. I originally learned about Four Sigmatic when I met their founder at a conference in 2015, and I have been pretty much obsessed with their products ever since. Personally, I use their reishi mushroom tea most nights for an all-natural sleep aid. I carry their chaga immunity blend anytime I travel, and I've also pretty much switched out my usual coffee or yerba mate for their unbelievably awesome mushroom coffee, either in ground or in instant form. Now, what I love about the mushroom coffee is that it combines chaga for immune support with lion's mane for intense focus. And because of that, I actually find it to be more effective than most nootropics or stimulants, including Ritalin, despite having only 40 milligrams of caffeine. It's honestly insane. If you haven't tried out their products, I strongly, strongly recommend you do so. And to encourage you to give them a try, we've actually teamed up with Four Sigmatic to bring you an incredible 15% discount. To take advantage of that, just visit foursigmatic.com slash superhuman today. All right, back to the show. I want to continue that on little strategies. I mean, obviously, you wrote an entire book on this, Greg. So tell us, where should we start? Where's the low hanging fruit? And because this is an addiction, you know, I've recently been exposed again, talking to Joe Polish, who does a lot of work on addiction and recovery, and he's really passionate about it. I've, I've become exposed to just how difficult this is. And knock on wood, you know, this is the maybe one of the first times I'm dealing with a real addiction. And, and thank God that it's only a smartphone addiction. This is a real thing. And it's, it's something that's very difficult for people. As you said, you've had children break down and cry <laughs> over this. Where do we start and how do we create the support system to successfully overcome this addiction? Yeah, I think that what we need to do is identify the things that matter to us the most, the things that are challenging for us, the roadblocks and go at it to address those particular issues. So for example, I did a talk a couple nights ago about this issue in schools. It was at night, it was to parents. And one of the parents put up her hand and said, my child is, they're working until 11 o'clock at night that's obviously disrupting their sleep. They can't get enough sleep. This is a huge problem. And I could tell that she was trying to angle it towards the schools give too much homework. Mm-hmm. How are the, how's my child supposed to sleep if the school gives too much homework? And she didn't say that, but that's what I sort of interpreted. And, and I very well might've been wrong, but it, I took it as an opportunity to throw things at the audience a little bit differently and say that if your child's up until 11 or 12 at night doing homework, they're mismanaging their days. They're not doing things the right way. And she got super offended, but whatever. I think a lot of the students are trying to do homework while on Snapchat. And as a result, they're taking three hours to do what should probably only take them 40 minutes if they really got down and did things right. And so what I'm trying to ask people to do is to separate out what is important to them and what they're doing and just do one thing. It's single tasking. We've we've all heard of this before. It's the opposite mm-hmm. of multitasking. If you're multitasking, you can't be productive. Single tasking, hyper productivity. So do that one thing. So when I go to the park now with my kids, I do not take a phone, even though the temptation is to bring the phone so you can take pictures. But if I do that, I check text messages or whatever else comes through. 
Now I actually take a like a DSLR, a good camera with me so I can take the photos, but don't take the camera with me when I'm going to the park with the kids. When we're having dinner, when you're having dinner with your family, all the devices go away. They shouldn't even be in the room. They shouldn't be on the table. They shouldn't be flipped upside down because even that will distract you. So it's all about intentionality. It's all about connecting with life. It's all about performing the very best that you can at whatever it is that you care about the most. And at certain times, by all means, take an hour and do social, take an hour and connect with friends, FaceTime with somebody that you haven't spoken with in a while, use the device to learn, find a cool article to read about, follow someone interesting on, on Instagram that inspires you. Like lately, I've started to follow Sasha DeJillian. She's a climber, just an incredible, powerful climber who's inspiring hundreds of thousands of little girls to live a life that's challenging and risky, but fun. There's lots of great things you can do, but it's just about intentional use and separating things out so that you do one thing at a time really, really well instead of trying to do everything all at once. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people, if they just try that, it sounds so easy. It sounds so simple. And, and in fact, the research shows us you know, that we all think, oh, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. I can focus if I want to. Try it. You know what? Try it since... Facebook has gotten so addictive and try it in the last few years since iPhones have gotten so interactive. Try it. Sit down and, and actually try to go a day or even a week without Facebook. Delete the Facebook app from your phone and see what you feel because I think you'll be shocked and appalled just at how addicted we've all become. And, and I say this as someone who has taught courses on productivity and avoiding distraction, but it, it creeps in and it becomes such a central part of your psyche that I don't think most people realize. Yeah, and it's a great experiment to run. So it's crazy. I went for a walk downtown in Toronto where I live through the financial district because I was meeting a buddy there for lunch and I did not pull out my phone while I was walking and I watched people. It was unbelievable how about 80 to 90% of the people are walking with their faces down in their phones. And then I took the streetcar home. It was about an hour and I deliberately sat there and did not use the device. It was in my pocket and it was so hard not to reach in and grab my phone. And that shows me that I'm I'm also super addictive. Like I use social media for work. I use it to push out the content that we create. We try to help people by getting our content out there. And so I love to check like what's resonating, what's not resonating with people. But still that urge to check, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, ten times a day is brutal. And so today I've actually blocked after we get off the phone, I've got the entire day blocked off for a very important project. I plan on turning off Wi-Fi. I plan on turning off my phone, putting away my iPad, sticking on headphones so I don't hear anything else. Like mm -hmm. you have to create these conditions to allow you to be deeply engaged. But at the same time, that experiment that you're talking about to test your addiction is also a really interesting, uncomfortable thing to try. So everyone who's listening, yeah, check that out. You'll be amazed at what you experience. Right. And I think one of the most interesting takeaways for me of reading about this is just learning that so many of history's greatest thinkers, even though they didn't have the distractions that we have, you know, they didn't have internet, but they still had their mail coming in and they still had people coming and knocking on the door to their office. So many of history's greatest thinkers have just left, right? Just gone out into the woods for the week, not for vacation, but Carl Jung being the most famous one just had a, a work cabin that he would go into the mountains of Austria and just work. And so more and more I'm thinking, I work at a WeWork because it's a social interaction for me and it's 
good to be around people and not be at home in my studio all day. But more and more, I'm thinking about ways that I can go off the grid and not put myself in willpower situations because as my buddy Ben Hardy will tell you, you know, willpower doesn't work. And if you have access <laughs> and if, if it's, it's so easy to turn around and tell someone something funny that you just thought of, you know, you will. So that's one thing that I want to commit to over the next couple of years is find myself a retreat that I can go to anytime I want to get work done. Absolutely. Thomas Edison had a very specific place inside Menlo Park where he would go to do his thinking. And when he went into these few rooms, which included a bedroom so he could take a nap, a small kitchen where he could make some food and a zone where he could do creative work and come up with new ideas, it was understood that you do not disturb him when he's in there or you're fired. Like you're, you're out. You'll never be around again. Wow. That was his do not disturb zone. We even think of many historically brilliant writers always disappearing to go to somewhere else to write. And I've discovered that place for me is in Central America where there's no internet, there's jungles, there's oceans, and there's a house that I can rent that has no connections. We go there, spend two weeks. That's where the deep thinking takes place. That's where the recovery and regeneration takes place. Obviously, I can't move there for long periods of time. But when I heard about this Menlo Park scenario... And I was coming home from the Titan Summit with with Robin Sharma and Steve Wozniak was there. And he was talking about this type of creativity as well. We committed to creating a section, a part of our home, two rooms to replicate that scenario that, that Thomas Edison had. And I'm sitting in that room right now and there's very specific pieces of art on the wall. There's a, a concert poster that was signed by two brilliant artists that I just love. There's this amazing piece of work by Jane Waterhouse you're right beside me showing people in connection I've got my computer here my headphones are all set up it looks outside over a park so I can stare into nature whenever I need to so we've very specifically dedicated a part of our house to this so that when I work at home I can do this deep type of work and then just like you when I need to engage you know I'll go to the university I'll go to the hospital I'll go to a we work as well where I can be surrounded by people which creates a very different energy but it I've loved the fact that we've created this little micro uh, Menlo Park within our home that allows mm -hmm. us to do really, really cool stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's so important for people to, especially people who are salaried employees, because so many of them think that part of their job is always being available to the boss or to coworkers and always being available on email, always being available if someone knocks on your door. And it's not, you know, your job is to put out high quality work, whether that's new press releases that you're writing or, you know, working on the books, the accounting, whatever it is, everything outside of that core deliverable is not your job. And so you have to set those proper boundaries. And I think one of the most important things you can say is no. Yeah, I missed that day in kindergarten when they taught us that word. And for <laughs> most of my life, I said yes to absolutely everything. And I don't regret it because obviously it's led to some pretty incredible things. But I've discovered later in life that saying no is, is critically important. And most importantly, when you do say no, when you explain to people what you're doing, they're like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I get it. Good job. So last summer, actually two summers ago, I took the summer off to write The Ripple Effect because I was trying to do it piecemeal and it wasn't working. So I took two months off, July and August, no meetings, no phone calls, no public speaking engagements, nothing. 
the university was shut down so I could do that. And that was the time when I was able to write my book. When anyone messaged me, they're like, Greg, I need to meet with you about this. I'm like, I'll see you in September. I got to write my book. And they're like, yeah, great. I'll see you in September. We think that everyone wants us to be engaged with them instantaneously. Yet when we push, not even push back, when we share with people what we're doing, the boundaries that we've established for ourselves, yes. it actually sets the stage for others to be, yeah, okay, I totally get it. Go with that because that's a struggle that I'm having. Maybe I should do that in my life as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and people understand. And also, I mean, I would say yes and. Yes and remember, you don't have to always give people a reason, right? Specifically, it can be a simple, you know what, my schedule just doesn't allow that. And, you know, I think it's important that we realize that our priorities come first, right? Whatever it is that's your goal that is serving what your ultimate purpose is, whether that's, you know, hey, I don't violate family time. I'm not going to have a call with you at eight o'clock on a Thursday night. That's family time. Or, you know, hey, I'm writing this book. I've determined that that is the most important thing I can do in my career right now. And, you know, having a call about some opportunity, you know, hey, sorry, I really can't devote the time to that. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't owe people answers and explanations. You set the the priorities for your time and, and people have to respect that. I agree with you. And I love how you put the words priorities and time in the same sentence, because that's something I've been playing with a lot recently. And that is trying to shift away from time management, living out of my calendar and, and trying to shift out of my email inbox, which is someone else's calendar yep. into priorities. And what are my priorities and making sure that every single day when I wake up, I'm absolutely clear about what my top three priorities are. Is it my family? Is it my a project that we're trying to create? Is it building a new business? Whatever it happens to be, making absolutely sure that I'm aware of my priorities so that I'm not on someone else's agenda, which is what happens the second you open your email inbox, which is what happens the second you scroll through your Facebook Messenger inbox. And so if people can shift from time management to priority management, that's a huge win. The first step obviously is what are your priorities? Do you know what the top five things are in your life right now? And make sure that you review those at literally every single morning so that you are clear about how you're going to spend your day and right. what meetings you're going to take. Like that is a total game changer for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything that we're saying, by the way, I think it's really important just to note, and it might go without saying, but it might not do this on paper. Do not open up your computer because the second you open your computer, you'd be like, all right, what are my five top priorities? I'm going to put it in my Asana or my Basecamp or my Trello or my notepad. The second you open the computer, it's game over. You've already lost, right? So opening up a pen and paper more and more, I'm realizing with all my productivity hacks and tips and tricks and tools that I teach. And I do a whole lecture on Evernote and I do whole lectures for my team on Asana and how powerful all these tools are. At the end of the day, there's no medium that is going to be as distraction free as just pen and paper. And literally, I understand when I'm doing that, that I'm sacrificing, in many cases, the ability to share because my handwriting is not really legible for other people. I'm sacrificing, you know, the ability to search it because my handwriting isn't legible for optical character recognition. I'm sacrificing so many different things, but it's all worth it at the end of the day because I've never been looking at a piece of paper and gotten a notification, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I had the chance to spend a little bit of time with Richard Branson about four years ago now. And I know everybody references Richard Branson and it's hard to relate to him because he's, you know, hyper wealthy and all those other things got degrees of freedom that we don't have. But, you know, one of the things that he said 
in the Q&A session that I got a chance to sit in on was that he always carries a notebook with him for ideas. And it's a hard copy physical notebook. And ever since then, I've been trying to always make sure I have a really good notebook. And whenever I travel, I go into the bookstore and I look for a beautiful notepad. It's the one that I'm actually holding right now, which was sitting on my desk. I found uh, was actually given to me by someone in India. And it's made from all of these incredible colored leaves, literally like leaves from a tree. They're pressed together. And I've got some wild stuff written in here. And it's incredible. You flip through it and you can see which ideas like led forwards and which ideas got crossed out and and bolted. And I've got all of these flow charts that you know I, I created. And the other thing I ended up getting was a really good pen. Mm-hmm. I enjoy writing in this notebook. Like I like it. I carry it with me. It's with me all the time. I use it on airplanes. I use it from time to time when I'm sitting around just to make sure that it's a different thing that I'm using than my computer. When I'm doing computer work, it's computer work. When I'm ideating, it's in in this journal. When I have an idea that pops in my brain, I fire it down into the journal. I always keep that really nice pen. You know, a heavy pen is made from carbon fiber and steel. Like it's a really cool, funky pen that that I keep with me to write in. So you're absolutely correct. And the other idea on this hard copy thing is get real books, like the ones made out of paper. Because when you're at home, I truly believe so much better for you to read off of hard copy books because you're not being pinged by a notification. You're not tempted to flip over into Twitter and you can actually go deep on the content of this book. And I, for example, just recently uh, worked my way through Walter Isaacson's biography of Leonardo da Vinci, which is sitting on my desk right next to me. And there's some stunningly beautiful pictures in there. And there's this incredible connection that you can make to the hard copy work. And I actually have the same book on my iPad because I do read books off my iPad when I travel because I don't like to haul things you know, through airports. And I notice a huge difference between my ability to consume content and learn off of hard copy books versus consume content and learn off my iPad. So that's another sort of journal plus books is a, a really uh, interesting strategy that people can put into play. I love that. And I've got two things to add to that. One, I discovered that uh, for me, an issue with the paper notebooks was number one, running out of pages. Number two, weight. If you have a thick notebook, it gets to be weighty. And so one of my employees recommended, and I've been using it a lot and I love it, this Rocket Everbook, Everbook, Everlast Rocket Book, I think it's called. It's basically an erasable notebook, which helps you scan things. So you can scan it right into Evernote. And based on what you check mark on the bottom, it'll go into Evernote or Google Drive or Slack or whatever. So you can have the feeling of like, okay, I'm not going to lose this completely. It's going to go somewhere into the cloud. But, you know, it's not digital. It's actually erasable pages. And that's really helped me. And because it's erasable, there are only so many pages on it, which I like because it's very lightweight. And then that basically what you said was the reason that I bought the Kindle as opposed to I used to read on my iPad and I realized I was never actually getting reading done because notifications would come in or, you know, it's too easy to click and go into something else or, hey, I want to research that further. Again, because of the weight issue, I ended up going with the Kindle because, you know, as a speed reader, I'll read two or three books on a vacation, but there's no notifications and there's no Twitter on your Kindle, which I love. Yeah, that's a really interesting strategy. So the other good thing about the Kindle is I think the backlight's slightly different. So it's not sizzling your brain quite as much as the as a larger screen. So that's a, another benefit from that one as well. I still wear orange glasses because the backlight is white. But uh, yeah, I found it to be significantly better than a normal screen. Interesting. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Greg, 
what is the first step for people? I'm, I mean, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, what can people do and how can they do it? Where would you say people start? What is the piece of homework that we should assign to them for this week? If they could start with what I'll give two ideas and you can, can play with this. The first one is win the morning. And if you can take control of your morning, I think it's going to set you up for a very different day. So instead of waking up, checking your email, checking social, wake up, make sure that your phone's nowhere in your bedroom and do something that is going to make you healthier and better. So meditation, gratitude, journaling, on piece of hand, a paper and pen, strategize about what you want to do for the day, get a workout in, make an incredible healthy smoothie, talk to your family, engage with your kids, kiss your spouse on your way out the door, like just own your morning and make it your morning, not someone else's. Mm -hmm. And then the second idea would be try to find a way during the day to separate work from your addiction to distraction. Work for a 90 minute block, be distracted for 30 minutes. Sort of that 90, 30 block seems to work really well for people. Deep focus for 90 minutes and then deliberately distract yourself and recover, regenerate in that 30 minutes. So try to create some separation between attention and distraction. And I think that uh, that will make a huge difference for you as well. Absolutely. So I really, really love that. Of course, I want to ask Greg, where can people find the new book? Is it on Amazon? We'll obviously link in the blog post, but tell us about it. Yeah, the book is The Focus Effect. It's by myself, Greg Wells, and Bruce Bowser, who's the CEO of a very large moving company called AMG Campbell. Uh, we've become really good friends over the last few years, and we had a really cool, fun collaboration on this book. And of course, if anyone wants to connect with me directly, I'm on all social media channels, which is kind of ironic given this conversation. But if you want to intentionally connect with me, and I will intentionally respond back to you, it's they're all at Dr. Greg Wells, and my website's uh, drgregwells.com. Awesome. Greg, I really appreciate this conversation. I really think it's an important message. I hope people will take it very, very close to heart. And uh, thank you for your time. Jonathan, thanks for your time also and all of your work around learning, which I think is so incredibly important in this world. I think we've sort of lost that importance of being continuous learners forever. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of what you're up to. So thank you for all the hard work that you do to make the world a better place as well. Back at you, brother. Thank you. All right, super friends, that is all we have for you today, but I hope you guys really enjoyed the show and I hope you learned a ton of actionable information, tips, advice that will help you go out there and overcome the impossible. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or drop us a quick little note on the Twitter machine at Go Superhuman. Also, if you have any ideas for anyone out there who you would love to see on the show, we always love to hear your recommendations. You can submit on our website or you can just drop us an email and let us know. That's all for today, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Becoming Superhuman podcast. For more great skills and strategies or for links to any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit www.becomingasuperhuman.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you joining me for this episode of the podcast. Your time is incredibly valuable and spending it with me is just mind-blowing. I, I thank you so much for doing that. It's great. If you want to support the show, if you enjoyed that segment and you want more, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Google Play. That makes a huge difference for us. And then also, if you can let me know what you think. 
All of my social media are at Dr. Greg Wells. And of course, if you can share this with anyone in your network, it would be greatly appreciated as well. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll speak to you again really, really soon.